Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the AJ's Primary Preview. My name is Matt Dotre. I'm the government reporter for the Avalanche Journal. Uh, we're just a few weeks away from early voting uh, for the March primaries, and right uh, this week we're focusing on the candidates in the contested House races. Uh, I'm joined right now by Austin Carrizales, a Democrat running for House District 84. Uh, Austin is running against Samantha Fields for the right to challenge uh, John Frulo in the November general election. Austin, how are you? All right. Let me say hi to my mom if she's listening out there. <laughs> yeah, she better be listening. <laughs> uh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, thank you, first of all, mm-hmm. for having me here. My mm-hmm. name is Austin Gutty-Solis. I'm an attorney here in town. I've uh, been practicing for about four years. Uh, West Texas, kind of born and raised. Um, my family's been here forever. My great-great-grandfather's buried right there mm-hmm. in the South Lubbock area, near the Cooper area. Um, Went to Lubbock High, uh, Cavazos Junior High. I went to Texas Tech uh, pretty much my whole life, minus about a year. Spent <laughs> half of it in Washington, D.C., and another half in Houston. Okay. Lived here. Yeah, very neat. And then uh, what made you want to run for state office? Um, to be completely honest, I wanted to run just based off of what's going on, what's around us. Um, three years ago, almost you know, three years ago exactly, I ran for county judge. I saw an opportunity and I saw something that I felt was being mismanaged at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, somebody needs to stand up and do this. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. Just please let get somebody in here to post this guy. Um, And that's kind of what happened again. You know, I was just like, well, this is a district that's predominantly actually minority majority district, 52% minority in 2010. Um, We've had some major things go on in places like Alabama. And on top of that, what really, really like made me want to run is that I went and checked his campaign donations. Uh, when you know ninety percent or more are coming from corporations, I don't think he represents West Texas anymore. Yeah. So I was going. Yes, you ran for office for, before, ran for county judge. So I, I went back and uh, read some of our articles at the time, and what it seemed like at the time, you were kind of wondering what party you should run for. I don't know if, I don't know if that's still the case. Is that the case? I mean, did, did you have to think, well, do I want to run as a Democrat or a Republican? No, I think the biggest thing is like, how do I convince myself not to join the Republican Party? Um, I've always been a Democrat. I think I will always be for the rest of my life. Um, it's just, I've never been the left-wing Democrat. I've always been the conservative Democrat, which means a lot of my moderate Republican friends, we get along real well. And sometimes, you know, in a polarizing fight when people are fighting, you know, internally in the party, I tend to not get along with a few people, but I know which side I stand on. Yeah, it almost just seems like the political landscape is getting more polarized and people are going further to the right or to the left. So how do you how do you attract people to the middle, especially during a primary, you know, where you're you're, you're kind of supposed to tend to your base yeah and you're right you know you should tend to your base but it needs to be what's within reason um my understanding is extremism and you know i was talking with jay lisa not long ago and we were talking about how you know the future is in the moderate the future is that conservative that conservative democrat or that moderate republican 
because people are just getting tired of these crazy people on either side. So they want somebody that they can look in the middle, kind of like the good cop, bad cop. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? That guy's reasonable <laughs> right there. I think I could side with him. Okay. How do you, you're really the only contested local Democrat race here in Lubbock. So how do you, how do you get people fired up about this race here in the primary I'm talking about? Oh, in the primary, I think it's simple. It's that you take that fire that's been happening nationally, you know, all the different disputes. People are not satisfied with Trump. They are satisfied with Trump. And, and it's all based, it, it's, a, it's from the top down. And so you take everybody's anger, just like people had anger against President Obama, and you say, well, if you don't like it, do something about it. But the time to do something isn't during the presidential election, it's now. Start locally and work your way up. It's just the reverse. You know, Normally, most people get fired up by who's at the top, but the way that you change things are locally first, yeah. and then you work your way up. Yeah. So tell me uh, some of the issues you're focusing on and, and issues you're talking about. Well, on the primary right now, you know, I want to tend to focus on the two major issues. That, and it can be, I don't care which party you are, it's health care and education. Um, those are the two major issues. You know, what can we do to get more people health care within reason? And what can we do to fund education? I mean, it, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we had to have a special session just to even talk about education funding. That's not even acceptable. Do you think there needs to just completely, the state needs to revamp its uh, school funding system? I think so. I mean, my, my biggest thing is I, I think we need to have, well, not a revamp. I think we need to have a revamp of our politicians. Um, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Everybody supports schools. We shouldn't be afraid to do the right thing. I think a lot of times we're worried about the fire that we're going to get when we go home. Um, but we need to understand that school should be made a priority. Uh, we like to consider ourselves to be the best in Texas, you know, the best in the United States. Texas is always, you know, above all. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the rankings in education, we're near the bottom. Um, I think it's time that we took our space back at the top. Yeah. Do you think that simply starts with just more funding coming from the state? You know, the general, what I always hear is that, well, the state used to help, you know, provide 50% of school funds. Now it's down to, you know, the mid thirties or something. Yeah. I think I heard a statistic like back in the day, it was like 75% and now we're funding 30%. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that's, it's kind of the way that, you know, people for a long time have said, you know what, we're not going to raise your taxes. Vote for us. Send us to the to the capital. My name's Austin. I'll vote for you. I'll go for you. Um, we're not going to raise your taxes, but you know what we're going to do? We're not going to fund it. But guess what? Locally, they have to raise your taxes to fund education. So why not do it on a majority? You know, at the at the major level, fund education overall. I mean, we have a rainy day fund. Everyone's always worried about whether or not we're going to tap it. What are we going to do? I think we should do what it takes to make our education the best. Were you disappointed in the state legislature just this past session, how they weren't able to really address it? And at the end of the day, I think they just appointed another committee, right, to study it. I'm actually disappointed more so with the fact that we have teachers, unions, local teachers, people here. Even I was on Brian Mudd's show recently, and you have people that are a part of the teachers union telling you, you know what, this bill is not good for us. We don't need school vouchers. It actually hurts us, and it gives us more duties to do because we have to keep track of them for every class. We don't get, you know, we get vouchers by every class they attend and everything else. And this is adding more work for us just to get the same amount of money. And I was like, wait, what is this that we like to call ourselves? You know, Republicanism, we want less government. 
but that's not exactly what we're passing. <laughs> we're, we're making the schools do more, yeah. which is ridiculous. I mean, I think we should do the most we can to alleviate administrators on a, on a statewide level. Yeah. And House District 84 is an interesting district because you're in West Texas. You're not a, I wouldn't call Lubbock a city, Maybe it is, but it's a big town. So, I mean, this, the district, the needs of LISD are different than the needs of, you know, post-independent school district, things like that. So, I mean, how do you, how do you balance that in terms of school needs and then, and then just kind of the whole issue with recapture and things like that? I mean, I think you just have to look at what the district entails. It's kind of like an upside-down horseshoe if you look at the loop draw a horseshoe and that's kind of what it is I mean but it encompasses most of our major schools the only one that I don't think that it encompasses is Monterey district because down the middle that's right yeah it's kind of like this weird little 83 exclusion. is a funky district yeah yeah so I mean but if you look at it though all the kids that go to Monterey might live in 84 mm -hmm. so I mean you really have to keep the entire city under in um, consideration mm -hmm. when you're actually thinking about this you can't really exclude anybody here because even northern Lubbock's like near Centennial Elementary, like where I live, you might have people that actually live outside of the area that go to that school because it's the nearest one. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have uh, what some people would consider, you know, a metropolitan area. And then on the east and north parts of Lubbock, it's rural. Yeah. Which is a complete, completely unique thing to really West Texas because you everywhere else it's either a straight rural city, rural area, or it's metropolis. For sure, yeah. I think we actually have to account for both here. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then um, health care. So does that, does that start with expanding Medicaid? I mean, that's the most obvious answer. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have to offer it here. Like, <laughs> everybody knows. Like, look, you know what? We've paid taxes. I don't know about you, but I filed taxes. When I worked for a PI firm before I started my own practice, I paid a lot of taxes. Um, pay a lot more, too, now. I've already, my, that tax money has already been allocated to the Texas Medicaid. That's what it's for. We've paid taxes for it and it's just sitting there waiting for it to come into us. Why would we not take money that we're entitled to? I, I just don't understand it. In other states, the expansion of Medicaid has led to a 75% decrease of the number of people that are uninsured. It's our money, why don't we take it? We're not making government bigger. Medicaid's already there. We're literally taking the tax money that we have already paid for and is taking what's ours. It baffles me as to why we haven't done it already. So why do you think the state of Texas passed on it? Honestly, I think it was a big, you know, how do I say this without being vulgar here? It was a big <laughs> middle finger to President Obama. That's what it was. And to be honest, what it did is we didn't consider, you know, there are families out there that don't have the same income, um, that live at, below the poverty level, or actually right near it, that would qualify for this expansion, and we didn't take them into consideration, which I think is wrong. They are still a part of Texas. Everybody's a part that lives here, and we need to take them into consideration yeah. as well. So healthcare is already a huge chunk of the state budget. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any figures in front of me, but so how do you, how do you prevent that from? almost just getting out of control. I think of healthcare as I do, you know, the military um, on a national level. The military always gets bigger no matter what. Can't do anything to shrink the size of the military. Um, considering the age of the baby boomers and the ever-growing industry of the healthcare because of that, I don't think we're ever going to be able to lower it. I think we're going to have to find a way for more reasonable costs. 
maybe somewhere down the line, we might actually have to regulate, um, you know, these prescription drug companies um, charging outlandish rates where you can literally drive to Mexico or, or fly something in from Canada at a third of the price. Um, we need to give them some competition as well, but the healthcare industry, it's not going to reduce ever anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. So I attended, um, last week, you took part in a uh, debate hosted by the Texas Tech Student Democrats. Um, a lot of what was discussed in that debate were kind of the big, the, the big ticket items, the, the big topics, such as like marijuana, uh, renewable energy and climate change, uh, rights of LGBT individuals, abortion. Um, would you say you agree with the Democratic, with the Democrat Party on many of those issues or on all those issues? Definitely not on all of them. Um, I would definitely say that there are a lot of things that I'm not afraid to differentiate myself from. Uh, you know, I, I often get chastised because, you know, I bring this up all the time, but, you know, I don't agree with local Democrats um, as far as when it comes to, you know, guns on campus, things like that. I actually carry all the time. been a concealed carry holder since I was 21 years old and I applied. Um, I found that most of the people that were in that class with me were extremely responsible. Um, I would do nothing to limit the rights of guns. Um, that's major for me, uh, which is weird because a lot of people locally want to do that, but it doesn't really follow the Democratic platform. The Democratic platform is for the responsible use of guns, not to restrict it. Well, what about um, constitutional carry? That's probably, I always hear that word thrown out. I mean, are you in favor of constitutional carry? Uh, I'm probably about as pro-Second Amendment as you can get. I would be for the expansion of Second Amendment rights. Um, I, I don't have any problem with any carrying ever, really. Uh, my biggest thing is, is you know, if you, you look at anybody, let, let's take something locally that, that really hurt us, um, that the poor officer that was shot by that, you know, the Texas Tech shooter, mm -hmm. um, there was something mentally wrong with that individual. He was not going to follow the law. There are laws in place that should have restricted him and his ability to have a gun. But unfortunately for us, we had a lot of traumatized people on campus, some of which that couldn't defend themselves. And it doesn't matter whether or not they follow the law, it was based upon his actions. And I don't think we should penalize other people or prevent them from being able to protect themselves because of that. So you wouldn't be in favor of expanding background checks? You know, I, I wouldn't be, uh, I would be actually pro, I like background checks. I like that a lot. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the loophole as far as you know within the gun show loophole, but I, my, my biggest thing about it is, is I haven't seen anything proposed that's better. Until I do, I'm not going to say, you know what, we should close this loophole. Yeah. Show me something better. Yeah. I think last session, um, uh, the Texas legislature voted to uh, ban dismemberment abortions or, you know, late abortions. Is that something you're, uh, you're in favor of? Um, absolutely. Me personally, yes. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but they see my last name. They think that I'm Catholic. I'm actually not. I'm Baptist. I was raised Baptist. My grandfather's a Baptist minister. Um, I myself am very anti-abortion. Um, however, I also have a legal background, and mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to be democratic. Um, I don't feel that I should be able to make the decision for you, Matt. If you wanted to have an abortion, I don't think that me living in a democratic nation should be able to govern what you do. 
so all I'm going to say is me personally, I'm against it, but I don't feel that anyone else should have a say against what somebody else does. Okay. That's not democratic. Okay. Talk a bit about the uh, property tax debate. Uh, that was, uh, of course, a big discussion last legislative session. I'm sure it's going to come up again. Uh, Governor Abbott recently uh, released his most recent plan, which was to lower that rollback rate to, I think, 2.5%, which was so in order for uh, cities and counties to increase revenue by more than that, they would have to take it to the voters. Um, are you in favor of that? Uh, last year, I guess it was Senate Bill 2. I would say... I'm more in favor of finding alternative ways to get that income. Um, I don't think, <laughs> look at here locally, um, when I last ran, I was against people raising the pay of county commissioners mm -hmm. because it was an increase for our property taxes. <laughs> I, I'm, not in, I'm not in favor of ever increasing taxes, but I think we should maintain the status quo. I think it's upon legislatures to find alternative methods to fund things and find and to make it more realistic as to how we're going to fund these additional things like education, how we're going to fund the cost of the county. And a lot of that is what I spoke with sometimes at that forum, not the debate, the forum, um, about, you know, for example, marijuana, um, how it's been proven profitable that whenever you don't make it necessarily a misdemeanor, mm -hmm. although it still is a misdemeanor, but when you go to finding it, instead of putting people in jail, that it actually goes from costing the county money to making the county money. And that means that we may no longer have a need for these taxes. So I, I'm actually more, I guess, I would like our legislators to be a little bit more creative. Okay, okay. That's kind of the way I see it. And the legalization of marijuana could be one avenue? I, I don't know about legalization. I just think of it more as decriminalization. Okay. Um, I don't think that Texas is quite prepared for what they have in Colorado. Um, I think it should still be quote unquote illegal to do it, but I don't think we should be putting people in jail. I think it would be a lot more responsible because, and you know, this is where I differentiate myself from my opponent. Um, you know, for example, without looking at a book and you're looking here at me, I know that the first time is a class B misdemeanor. It's up to 180 days in jail and a $2,000 fine. The second time it's up to one year in jail, 365 days and a $4,000 fine. The third time makes it an automatic felony. I don't need those numbers for her to have them in, in front of me, but I do know that all three of those do not make sense when it comes to housing people in the county jail. Let's just say conservatively that it's $100 a day, that we do 100, we have 100 people a month times 12 months, multiply that out, and that's a lot of money yeah. that we're losing. Yeah. But we can reverse that and say, you know what, we're not going to pay for you. You're going to pay us to smoke weed. You want to smoke weed? Guess what? We're all for it. We're going to charge you $250 a turn. So rather than losing $100, we're going to gain $250 every time. And if you can't pay it, that's fine. You know what? You can come work and clean up some of these highways just like they already offer people. You can volunteer here at a building. You can clean up at the courthouse, which is already offered for, to people. Okay. You can be productive. And if you're not paying the fine, you can be a productive member of society. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm in favor of. Okay. I want to uh, ask you about, uh, about the Sanctuary Cities bill that passed last session. Um, do you think, I guess first I want to ask you, do you did you feel like there was, the state got a bit too involved in lo local control the last legislative session, local control and local issues? I think we had a Republican majority that weren't acting like Republicans. I think that 
we should not put it upon our sheriff's deputies or LPD to ever determine, you know, anything regarding immigration. We have a branch of federal government that's for that. Um, it's not funded. And just by you requiring people to um, actually uphold anything regarding sanctuary, sanctuary cities, where it's just checking the immigration status or anything like that, that's taken away from the police that we have out in the force actually being able to do their duties. I don't know if you've noticed, but ever since stuff like that's been done, we've had a lot of crime in Lubbock recently. Yeah. A lot of deaths, young people that are dying, shooting themselves, doing that. That's what I would like the police to focus on, not sanctuary cities and, you know, who's here legally or who's not. Not to mention that, Matt, me and you are different color skin. I don't think you would ever be racially profiled. And I know I would, because I've had it done before. I, I just don't think it's fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that eventually the Supreme Court would rule that it's just not a valid law. Yeah. Do you think bills like this are preventing people from f feeling comfortable with calling police or speaking with police? Um, let me put it to you this way. I, I don't do a lot of immigration, but every now and then on the criminal part of my practice, when I deal with people that are from other countries, because um, we have quite a few here, even in Lubbock, um, when you deal with them and you have to call an immigration attorney, they never want to talk to the police because it's that fear of going back, the fear of going back. Now, the craziest part about this is that I ask them about the jobs that they do, and most of them are jobs that I would never do. And they do, they're doing it for half the rate. And I just don't see a problem with, you know, them being here. Yeah. But, yeah. So the border is, of course, a, a, a big time. It's a big political issue. And it, and it gets discussed at the national level as well as the local level. So, I mean, well, I guess, first of all, do you think the, the immigration is an issue? I think immigration is a major issue. Um, the biggest problem that we've had is that nobody's ever been able to propose an immigration bill with real solutions that happen quickly. Um, there's such a huge holdup in the immigration system. There's so much time that you have to wait. Um, that's a national issue, though. I don't think it's something that's going to be done by the state house ever. Now, they can do things to prohibit. Um, everybody, it's, I think, I find it so funny that, you know, like when Jody Arrington talks about he's huge on border security, where's the border in Lubbock? Like, there's no border here. You don't know anything about border security. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, we're not that far of a drive from the border. No, we're not. But we have people that have lived there their entire lives and or actually that come from that area. Now, we're directly affected because of all the cotton-producing counties. You know, just, you know, tech was created because of the 10 cotton-producing counties mm -hmm. that had a lot of migrant workers that came here and worked. And I will be the first, and I mean, Texas Tech could probably even, that's probably the proof that we all benefited from migrant workers coming here and help, helping all those cotton farmers. Farmers are against a lot of this stuff, but we tend to, tend to just not listen to them. But do you ever think that um, um, <laughs> so, I mean, do you think that there needs to be more of a focus with border security? Because, I mean, or are you in favor of just open borders? Oh, no. I, I think that... So, and, and so where do you draw the line? I, I think that there, we have the technology now that we didn't have in the 60s and in the 70s and in the 80s. We have the technology now to identify if somebody's crossing. We have heat signatures. We have drones. 
we do not need to build a multi-billion dollar wall. Um, a lot of places it's just not practical. I think we should definitely defend our border because throughout time, if you go and look at any history, the most successful nations throughout time were those that could actually establish their border. But I think there are more creative ways to do so and also more cost efficient ways to do so than a border wall that makes no sense okay okay so well and for good or for bad a lot of people uh b b they they blame um uh, illegal immigrants on kind of this drug problem we have i mean do you think those two are related and associated i don't i don't believe so at all um if you block one passageway another way is going to open up um, I can tell you right now that I have between, at any given time, I have 50 to 100 criminal law cases. Um, most of the people addicted are, I, I mean, are just like they're from the U.S. Um, they, come, they have that habit and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. Mm -hmm. um, they don't care where the buyer com comes from. They're addicted. They don't care if it comes from the south or the north. They, they really just don't care. They just want their fix. And the issue with that is, is thinking that it comes from the South. That's not enough. It, it'll come from anywhere. I mean, we have people now, if you ever take a trip to Colorado, they have lawyers advertise signs for people that get caught coming back and bringing the drugs back to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Like, they will get it from wherever they can use it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you, I mean, how do you get people to vote? Let's say you get to the general election. How do you get people to vote for the D next to your name? I don't think that they should vote for the D next to my name. I think they should vote for me. Um, I want to be the candidate that's not afraid to tell this party, hey, you know what? This bill may tote the party line, but it doesn't work for my constituents. Um, that's who I want to be. I don't care if there's a D or an R next to my name. And I, I think that's the way it should be in the sense of I'm proud to be a Democrat but I don't ever want you to vote for me because I am one. I want you to vote for me because you understand that I am gonna represent my constituents. And five years from now, you know, I'm not gonna take money from corporations. I'm not gonna let them buy me out. When you'll never get a letter from me that says, hey, you know what, we just voted on Senate Bill 2 or House Bill 2. And as a matter of fact, it's gonna affect the state of Texas this way. Now mine's gonna say, you know what, the people of West Texas will feel this way about it. I'm never going to vote against a cotton bill. You know, obviously we're in Lubbock, Texas. Mm -hmm. We we rely upon that. I think we should do everything we can to make things better. I don't feel, like, for example, on the federal level that we exactly care so much about cotton here, yeah. which is messed up. Yeah. I always hear that West Texas is so underrepresented. And... <laughs> So then I always hear that, but like the, the, the representation we do have, they need to stick together. I mean, do you see yourself working? I mean, you would be a Democrat in a field of Republicans, again, if you were elected. I mean, would you be able to work with your colleagues from West Texas? Do you think they'd be willing to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing is, is we need to find, we don't need to focus on polarizing issues. We need to focus on things that are going to represent us all, just like education. I think it brings more merit to things when they're passed and you have co-authors from different parties. Um, it says, you know what, we were able to pass something that everybody agreed upon. And, or if you pass something with a larger majority than ever before. Um, there was a time here where West Texas had representatives that had, for lack of better words, balls. 
and the backbone, which I tend to think that John Frulo doesn't have. And let me go on the record and be the first to say I don't think he has a backbone. Um, people used to listen to, you know, what Pete Laney said, Speaker Laney. Um, they operated in private, but they also operated in the public eye when they needed to. And we need to return back to that. Um, there's a reason why people come, you know, and, and, and they think of people in West Texas as just like, you know, they, they look at us and they just kind of like that Lubbock personality. And it's because we have a little bit of that city personality. But, you know, after a beer or two, your drawl comes in a little thicker and all of a sudden you're from West Texas. <laughs> and, that, and that's really the only way to explain it. And if you're from here, you understand. And if you're not, I just don't think you'll ever get it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But from an outsider's perspective, I would say that part of that Wubbuck identity is being conservative with those, you know, they always say family values and, you know, do it yourself mentality, not relying on the government. So how do you, I mean, how do you change that mindset? I think you change the mindset by saying that those aren't true conservative values. Family values are what should be American values. Um, most of those values we've molded. Uh, l let me give you the best illusion that's, that's ever been done, and, and it's beautifully done by the Republican Party, and I will compliment them on this, is the, that church is part of the Republican Party. You know, I know a lot of Democrats that go to church. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandfather's a Baptist minister. He's a hardcore Democrat. He believes that Jesus would help people. He doesn't, he believes that Jesus wouldn't want abortions, but he also believes that after that kid's born, we would help them out. I think we need to start showing people that Democrats aren't the left-wing lunatics that they think that they are, and to show that, you know what, we're, we're the same. We're, we're the exact same. What we want, what's best, and we're even more willing to reach across the aisle now than ever, because we've seen what these extremists can do on both sides. And we're tired of it. No more. Yeah. So you're young. Did you recently turn 30? Is that what I heard? Yeah, I just turned 30. Okay. I, lo I lost my hair a lot younger, but <laughs> I turned 30 recently. Well, I, do you feel like you have enough experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I venture to say that I do. I mean, the, I think I'm more experienced than a lot of people that have run for this position in the sense of I have that policy background with the MPA. Um, I've, I've worked on actual Capitol Hill nationally. Um, I know what it's like to author a bill. I've written resolutions. I know, I know all the actual implementation part of the job. It's just getting, getting there is the thing. Um, everybody has to start somewhere. Um, I feel like as an attorney, you know, when I first came out as an attorney, man, I felt like I knew everything and I quickly <laughs> found out I don't know anything. <laughs> But I learned how to work with people, and you know, after, I'm going into the third year of my law practice on my own now, and I've quickly learned that you know, you hear a lot of stories about old lawyers and you know all the amazing things that they can accomplish. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what he tried three three cases in one month, and then drove to New Mexico and tried another mm -hmm. case and did that. You know what? I've done the exact same thing. <laughs> I've realized that those aren't tall tales. It's just a matter of the willingness to go out there and do it on your own, and I have that. And I think that's the reason why a lot of my colleagues who have been practicing for 20 years will come to me or refer cases to me is because of they see that level of trust, the level of confidence that I have, and they're willing to refer and take a risk with me. That's what I want the people of West Texas to do, take that risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said you lived for a year away. Tell me what you did in Washington, D.C. 
You know, in Washington, D.C., I was a, I worked for Congressman Henry Cuellar. He is literally one of the few conservative Democrats that's in the actual, in, uh, in Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here thinking of that picture. That's why I have this pause. <laughs> um, it was kind of amazing to see what that was because, you know, I, I did it through the Texas Tech Congressional Intern Program. Uh, they actually ask you about your political preferences and then they, they make the assignments. Sometimes they do assignments where they're kind of opposite you. Mm-hmm. And then they sometimes they try to pair you exactly with who you are. And I mean, me and Henry Cuellar just kind of see eye to eye. He is the conservative Democrat. He is, I mean, when I talked to him, it, I was like, Congressman, respectfully this. And he'd be like, Austin, you call me Henry. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw eye to yeah. eye on a lot of things. And, and I just found it amazing that, you know, there are places, and he's from Texas, there are places in Texas that realize that it's okay to be Democrat and conservative. They actually do mesh. Yeah. Somebody the other day is like, well, you know what? Being a Democrat, because uh, I went, I was at Amigos, uh, and I was like, you know, could I please ask for your vote? And this guy was like, I'm a Republican. I said, well, I'm a conservative, a Democrat. Are you moderate or are you, like, really right wing? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, that's an oxymoron. And I said, well, so if I showed you my concealed handgun license, would you believe me? Like, I really am. Like, you know, they, we do exist. And then he's like, can I please have your card? <laughs> and then he goes, so the next thing is like, I've never seen, he's like, who is it that represents this district? I was like, John Frulo. He goes, I've never seen him here ever. And I was like, well, I'm trying not to be that guy. I want you to answer to me. And I want the, the, I want the buck to end at me as well. Yeah. Are you able to find time to campaign with your law practice? Yeah, um, I have to work on my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, Scheduling has never been better in the sense of I've, I've started kind of winding down in the sense of I'm not, I didn't, I'm not refusing cases, but I'm only being more selective now. Okay. Um, especially as we get towards the primary, I've scheduled everything, you know, in advance to where as early voting starts, I'm going to be really busy, but there's going to be about a week or two lull where I can get on the ground and do anything. Um, what really matters that, you know, West Texas, we're hardworking people. Yeah. If I'm at work, so are the people of West Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do now is, you know, Saturday mornings I wake up, you know, I'll be at the United handing out cards or block walking in the neighborhood. Um, your kid has Little League baseball tryouts while I'm on the board of Northwest Little League. You know what? I will be out there too. Um, you have to make time for things that are important. And I think that I found a long time ago the ability to do that. That's how start, I had to learn that in law school. When I was going to law school and going to – to grad school at night, I've really learned how to allocate my time for the things that are important. Yeah, yeah. I also uh, wanted to ask you about uh, Joe Strauss. Were you disappointed to hear that the speaker was not seeking re-election? I was. Um, I was very disappointed, but I also think that it gives the opportunity for new leadership. Um, I'm like, I'm one of those people, I like to find positives out of things. I, I really like Joe Strauss, and I liked everything that he represent. Um, but I think as as we move on, you know, there's going to be people like to talk about millennials and I don't know, I don't know how old you are, Matt, but you know, I'm technically a millennial here at 30 years old. (laughs) Eventually there's going to come a time where we have to lead and Speaker Strauss could be like, you know, what's his name out of Midland that's been there forever in the house. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's it's just bothering me. Tom Craddock. Yeah. Tom Craddock, you know, he could have been there forever, but it's never going to give us the opportunity to lead. Um, Always forward is the way we should look. You know, onward and forward, always. Yeah. Um, very good. Anything else? That's all the questions I have. Anything you wanted to 
Mention, do you have any events coming up we should look out for? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a fundraiser at Heavy Maze Barbecue February 23rd. Um, it's going to be great. Going to have some barbecue, hopefully some green chili and cheese uh, sausage. Um, we're going to have your brother's uncle, who's actually a deputy that is the lead singer. Okay. Um, uh, hired him <laughs> to play, and um, they're a really fun band. Um, it will be free beer and wine. If anybody wants there you to come go. out, we're doing it for $50 a ticket. So I think it's facebook.com slash Austin, the number four, Texas. Uh, we have the event details there. Um, and other than that, I'm just kind of really looking forward to this primary. Um, you know, if, if we don't make it through the primary, I'll look forward to supporting candidates that I see eye to eye with. Uh, if we do make it through, it's time to raise some money and bring forth a really good general. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Austin, I sure do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.